We're going to come to the time in our service now. We will look at a passage from the Bible. We're going to talk about what this means, why this matters, what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible, would you turn in it to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you're using this Brown Pew Bible, it's on page 684. Just as we did last Sunday, I'm going to give us a bit of context in the pre-reading. And when we get to verse 9, where it lists the Lord's Prayer, verse 9 through 13, I'm going to ask you to read with me. We would speak together this Lord's Prayer in order to give us all the context, although we are focusing just on verse 10 today. So stand with me together. I'll begin reading at verse 5, and when we get to verse 9, would you read with me? Jesus is speaking here, Matthew 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Let's read together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us once more and ask God's presence with us, His Spirit, to empower the preaching of His word. Father, we come now to this time where we will look to your word to, to teach us, to guide us. God, I'm trusting that as your spirit has already met with me through this week in my preparation, that you would come now and empower this message to cause your will to be done here in each one of us, to cause your kingdom to come more in us this morning, to grow us in our love of you and our knowledge of you. You say that this word, when you send it out, it doesn't return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us this morning. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. In his classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis tells a story of how a young girl named Lucy and then her older siblings, Edmund, Susan, and Peter, all get into this magical land of Narnia. They get in traveling through a wardrobe in the corner of a room at this place where they're staying. And this place, Narnia, it's this incredible land of, of fawns and centaurs and just regular everyday animals who can all speak, converse with each other. And when they first arrive in Narnia, it's also a place of eternal winter ruled by the Snow Queen Jadis. 
Jadis, you see, has set up a kingdom of snow and ice in Narnia, where uh, she rules with uh, fear and intimidation, where she coerces subjects into fearful submission, and as the story goes, where under her rule, it's always winter and never Christmas. Problem for Jadis, however, is that she set up her kingdom in a land that doesn't belong to her and ruling over subjects that are already, already under the rule of another. Because you see, Narnia is a land that is ruled already by a king, a mighty lion named Aslan, who is the Christ figure in all of Lewis's stories. Which is why, as it turns out, under Jadis's rule, she will not allow the celebration of Christmas. Well, when Lucy and her siblings all first arrive together in Narnia, they are whisked away to safety in the cozy little beaver dam home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they're informed very soon, you are going to meet this king, Aslan. He's coming to meet with you, and you're going to see him. And when Lucy inquires about this king, she wants to know, well, what kind of person is he? Uh, what is this king like? Mr. Beaver is quick to respond, Aslan, a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the woods and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, he says. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. This is Lucy's older sister. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I should be quite nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And then the remainder of these first chapters of the story all talk about this anticipated coming of Aslan and their first meeting and hoping that he will come and reestablish his rule here in Narnia and end the false rule of Jadis. These stories, if you've read them, I don't know if you've read or seen the movies yourself, but it's, it's an inspiring, beautiful story that pictures many gospel truths, actually. And as it relates to our passage this morning, powerfully illustrates exactly what we're asking for in the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Because think about it, what, what is a kingdom? But the place and the subjects over which a king rules and has authority and where his will, his sovereign will is carried out. That's what a kingdom is. So in the same way that the inhabitants of Narnia would long for the return of their king, long for him to have his good and perfect will carried out and to end the rule of Jadis over their land, so too does the believer in Jesus. We long for the return of our king. We long for him to deal with everything that's wrong in our land, in our world, and to bring his perfect and good will to us. And yet here's the problem for each one of us this morning. Anyone who's ever read those stories, you've seen the movie, uh, we, we love the story. We love the truths it illustrates. Oh, it's so good. And with any story we love, we tend to see ourselves, uh, we identify with one of the characters in the story, right? Do you do this? We, we, we see a character and we're like, oh, I'm like, I'm so like that person. And so uh, most times, I, I could say, I want to say almost everyone, to be fair, but I, I think it's actually everyone. Everyone I've ever talked to who's read this story, seen this movie, they identify with one of the children in the story. They're like, oh, I'm so like Edmund, this way, I'm like Lucy, whatever. You identify with the children characters, and that makes sense. I mean, they're the only humans in the story, 
So you probably identify with one of them. But nobody who's ever once read this story, I've never heard anyone come away from this story and say to me, you know who I also identify with most? The queen. That, that's who I really feel like is me. I, I've never heard anyone say that. Not yet, anyway. No one thinks that they are the queen in the story, but what I'd like to suggest to you this morning is this. While we should, we should identify with the children in the story, we should see ourselves as those who are longing for Christ's return, longing for the, the king to come and set right what is wrong in our world. While that's good and right, the reality is that from Genesis 3 onwards, the bent of every human heart has also been to free ourselves from God's rule, to set up ourselves as the sovereign rulers of our own kingdom and to cause our will to be done, which means, if we're being honest, in the end, we should come away from Lewis's story identifying with both the children and the queen. We're both. We're continuing this series this morning on prayer that we began a few weeks ago now entitled Ask, Accessing the Father's Heart Through Prayer. And this morning as we learn to pray these second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. My prayer for all of us is that we would have a whole new appreciation coming out of here of the magnitude of what we're praying when we pray those things but also that we would have a deeper understanding of the implications of praying these prayers, both globally as well as personally. In order to do that, I want to look at our passage this morning in just two ways. I want to show you how these two petitions work together to reveal two things, the need for God's rule and how we should always be surrendering to His rule. Those two things, the need for His rule and surrendering to His rule. So if you close your Bibles, would you open them again with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Follow along with me as we learn about here asking for submission to the rule of our King. So let's talk first about the need for His rule. Why do we need to have His rule here? Now, just like last Sunday, if you were here with us and we looked at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, so too here with the second and third petitions, there's a number of similarities. First of all, the second and third petitions also include that postscript, on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, all three of the first petitions of the Lord's Prayer include that postscript, on earth as it is in heaven, which means when we pray this, we're praying that God would bring about those heavenly realities that are happening now, that he would bring them about here on earth. Cause these things to happen here on earth. Second and third petitions also are requests. They're not declarations. So we're not necessarily praising God for the fact that He is the King of all things and His decreed will always comes to pass. We're asking Him. We're asking Him to come, do these things, cause these realities that happen in heaven to happen here on earth. And these second and third petitions are also have a present and future reality. Which means, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, is to ask God here and now to presently reestablish his dominion in every place where evil falsely reigns. But we're also asking that he would at last return, that Christ would come again and return physically, come set up his kingdom here on earth and put sin's reign to death for once and for all. 
But as I said as we began, the need to even pray these second and third petitions all have their root all the way back in Genesis, where we are told how Adam and Eve first rejected God's sovereign rule and chose their own will instead. Maybe you're familiar with this story from Genesis where God sets up Adam and Eve in his perfect kingdom, Garden of Eden, where where everything and anything that he's created is perfect. It's said to be good. And the one rule that God has for his beloved subjects in his kingdom is that they're not to eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. They're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In, In love, God warns them, if they eat of the fruit of this tree, they will surely die. And yet, one day, a serpent comes to Eve and with one question and one lie redirects Adam and Eve's Godward trajectory forever inward on themselves. Genesis 3.1. Serpent comes to Eve and says these words, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Creating an intrigue casting doubts on the goodness of their king. Now Eve tries to correct the serpent. No, 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 he didn't say any tree, just this one tree. We're not to eat it or touch it and we're going to die. But then, in response to her, this serpent just boldface lies to Eve. He just boldface lies to her, saying, verse 4, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil, the clear implication of both the question and the lie being, listen, Adam, Eve, come come here, listen, guys, I'm sorry to be the one to have to tell you this. Your your king is, is not the loving, benevolent king you think he is. He's not, I'm sorry. He, he, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. In fact, he's holding out on you. He's not interested in your happiness. And actually, he's trying to keep you under his rule instead of allowing you to rule in the way you know best. He takes that fishing lure and tosses it into the water. And sadly, Adam and Eve swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And if you just continue to read, you see the devastating results of their disobedience, all kinds of things going wrong now, uh, uh, how all human relationships now reflect this distrust that Adam and Eve had for God. Now they don't trust one another. They're blaming each other for their problems. Uh, We see how marriage, the marriage relationship between a husband and wife that was supposed to be unified and complementary now is a power struggle where they're constantly seeking to domineer and subject one another to their own will. This even leads to the first murder we see recorded in the Bible as their oldest son Cain murders his brother Abel. Creation itself even rebels against the rule that God has given to Adam and Eve and now painful toil is a part of their childbearing and working the land. And from that day forward, it's clear. Our rebellious hearts, our rebellious minds continue to rebel. We continue to rebel against God's rule, against his authority. Despite those devastating costs, we just continue down that path, seeking to be sovereigns of our own individual kingdoms. And yet, at every single step down that destructive path, this is, it's a suicidal mission. It can't and will not end well because that's not the way God designed the world to work. 
His creation was not designed to work in isolation from him. And so now, under sin's curse, under sin's reign, nothing now works the way it was intended to work. Nothing works like it was supposed to. The, uh, Romans 8 describes this uh, creation rebelling as being subjected to frustration. Creation has been subjected to frustration. Which, I don't know, maybe if, if you've got a friend, or maybe you're one of these people who's got that cell phone with the smash screen, but they continue to try to use it for a little while longer, they're like, no, no, I can still, I can still send text messages. Or maybe you tried to cook in an oven where the thermostat doesn't work, and you're constantly having to check it. Is it still, is it burning? No. Or even just if you've tried to sail a ship with a compass like Jack Sparrow's. Whatever it is, I think frustration... I think we'd say that's probably the understatement of the year. Uh, uh, frustration doesn't even cover it as we look at all the ways creation no longer works like God intended to it, as, as beautiful and wonderful as it still is. And we could see evidences of that frustration all around us, right? Everywhere we turn. And we could point to simple examples like North Korea, uh, Holocaust in Nazi Germany, Rwandan genocide, millions of children dying every year from abortion or preventable diseases. But what I wonder is, if the stuff that we deal with every single day, if that isn't also included in that frustration, that every fight or, or strain that you experience in your marriage or in your friendships, every time a child rebels against you again, gender or racial inequality in the workplace, or, or the way that that car behind you has been honking at you for the last three blocks because you didn't whip out of the intersection the second the light turned green. All that stuff, just that everyday regular stuff, isn't also included in that frustration. If it isn't also a result of sin reigning in those places instead of the true king. I believe it is. I think it absolutely is. My question for you this morning is, do you see it that way? Do you see those situations, those everyday circumstances in that way as places where the king is not reigning? I mean, if we just look around our world today, all kinds of places to see that. When two world leaders are continuing in such arrogant, stubborn pathways that it looks like they're going to take the whole world down in a nuclear blaze of glory... Uh, when we see children around the world trafficked for labor, sex, or, or debt repayment. When your marriage relationship is, is so disconnected and strained that your spouse feels more like your roommate. And when you can't even remember the last time you had a conversation. You don't, you don't even know what a conversation with your parents sounds like when nobody's shouting. How do you, how do you pray in those circumstances? What do you pray for? I mean, there's, there's lots of things we'd want to pray for in those circumstances, for sure. But remember, the Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching us how to pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Which means if we're following Jesus' pattern on prayer, doesn't this mean one of the first things we should be praying when we come to these everyday circumstances, big and small, is, Father, this is a place where sin is reigning and not you. Would you cause your kingdom to come here? Would you cause your will to be done here? Not looking down to our neighbors to the south saying, Father, get them a new president. Instead, praying, Father, bring your kingdom 
to our American brothers and sisters. Bring your kingdom there. Not praying just, uh, Father, restore my marriage. Father, fix my broken family. Father, heal this cancer. Praying instead, Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May you reign in these places in the same way you perfectly do in heaven. What's that pressing, crushing need on your heart right now? Everyone's got one. What's that thing on your heart this morning that you brought in here with you? Could you lift that up again this morning in a different way? Could you pray instead, Father, would you reign in this situation? Would you cause your kingdom to come in this circumstance? I know it doesn't mean that God's going to answer your prayer exactly how you would hope he would. This isn't a magic combination. You just pray this way that God, regardless of whether or not he wants to give it to you, is going to say, well, shoot, they used the order, so I guess i got to give it to them. That's not what's happening. But I think we can pray that way, and we can pray that way with confidence. Because remember what we said last week, if you were here with us, Jesus is teaching us an ordering of our prayers for the purpose of reshaping the way we see the things we request, the way we see the things that we're asking him for. That starting with God, asking for his kingdom to come, praying that the Father's will be done, praying that first is going to give you a completely different mindset. It's going to give you different lenses by which you see the things that you're presenting to him in prayer. So it means it's not that God doesn't care about your requests. He does. I mean, look at just even before this chapter ends, the end of chapter 6, Jesus promises us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. But he's teaching us an ordering of prayer so that we will present those requests to him in light of who he is, starting with seeing his greatness and his power. So now when we bring the request, we come with a whole new level of understanding and confidence when we pray that way. So can you bring these requests praying this way, starting with the order? It's going to totally reshape the way you bring that crushing need to him. Okay, that's the need for his rule. Jesus teaching us to ask for the inbreaking of his kingdom into all these places that are broken and damaged by sin's curse. The last thing I want us to look at now is surrendering to his rule. Surrendering to his rule. We need to talk about this because here's the problem with everything I just said. All of us, we, we could, every person in here this morning, we could uh, uh, look around us, Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You look around you, you look at your life, we could all name uh, uh, situations that are broken, systems that are broken, wh- whatever cause you'd want to assign to that brokenness. We can all see that. So, so whether you're looking at a, a dictatorship in North Korea or a little league coach who likes to scream at seven-year-old players, whatever it is, we could look at those places of brokenness and go, yeah, I, I, I think that that's not great leadership. They're not under the best management right now. I think they could stand for some fresh leadership in those places, sure. But here's my point, and I'm just going to speak for myself. But you, you hear my confession and see if you can't relate. I am incredibly skilled. Incredibly skilled at looking around me and seeing all kinds of people and places of, of brokenness under sin's rule where I want to pray, God, bring your kingdom there. 
God, that relationship is broken. God, that, that child needs your healing. All these places, I'm, I'm so good at that. I can see it. God, bring your kingdom there. Well, you know what I'm not good at? You know what I'm terrible at, actually? I'm terrible at looking in the mirror. Or worse, having the mirror held up to me. Have someone play back the tapes for me and seeing that actually the real problem, that the real ruler that needs to step down from the throne is me. The one ruling that's causing all this destruction is actually me. Or as I said as we began, everybody sees himself as the children characters in Lewis's story. Nobody sees himself as the queen. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. But see, that, that's where following Jesus' teaching on prayer immediately becomes incredibly difficult for us. Because although there is nothing more glorious, nor powerful, more more life-giving than praying these requests of the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, there's nothing more powerful and glorious than that. Many of us, most of us, don't want to pray those things, and we won't pray them. Why? Because the truth is, we want our own kingdoms to come. We want our own will to be done, and we live in a world and a culture that's going to say, yes, that's right. Don't let somebody else tell you what your will should be. You're a a strong, confident individual. You know what's best for you. You know what your truth is. That's the world we live in. They're going to champion that kind of thinking. And as ridiculous as it sounds then, None of us will probably want to say it out loud. We're not going to pray this way. We're not going to pray for his kingdom. We're not going to pray for his will because at the end of the day, we think we're a better king than God. It's hard when you say it out loud, but I think I'm better. I know better than God. And maybe you'd say, that's ridiculous. Of course, I I don't think I know better than God. I would just say, okay, think of some of those situations where the stakes are incredibly high. Where, where your father is about to go in for open-heart surgery himself. Where uh, uh, telling the truth about something is going to mean losing your job or, or losing a friendship. Where you get that call late at the night and, and someone says, your child's been in an accident, we're taking him to this hospital, come as quickly as you can. Uh, or, or where one day your spouse sits across the table from you, looks you in the eye and says, I don't think we're a good fit anymore. And all of a sudden, those words, they choke in our throat. We don't want to pray that anymore because those very same powerful, glorious words, they they choke in our throat. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We don't want to pray that. Why? Because what if his will is different than mine? What if God wants something different than what I know needs to happen in this situation? Isn't that why we don't want to pray this? And if that's what's truly in your heart, and it's in all of our hearts from time to time, we'll instantly feel afraid and unsafe. 
not safe here anymore to pray that. And then if we pray at all, it's going to lead us to want to invert the order of Jesus' teaching on prayer. We're going to pray instead, give me this daily bread, give me this thing I'm asking for, pray for that first, and then we'll add on, oh yeah, and your kingdom come, your will be done. With the clear implication, you can have your will, sure, as long as it's in line with what I'm praying for here. If it's in line with my will, yeah, also bring your kingdom, good. But don't you see... To pray that way presumes somehow in our finite, weak humanness that we actually could know better what we need than God. That from our incredibly limited perspective, I don't even know what's happening five minutes from now, we know better than the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them who holds everything together by the word of his power, who his word says every one of our days is written in his book before it even comes to pass. We're going to say, I know better than you what should happen here. And in the end, ultimately, to, to invert the order of the prayer is actually to invert it even further than that. Because what we're really praying when we pray that way out of fear, trying to invert the prayers, we're saying, actually, hallowed be my name. My kingdom come. My will be done in heaven like I'm asking you to do it here on earth. That's how we're praying. Because you see, along with looking around and asking that God's kingdom would come and reign in all these places where we see sin's destructive reign, we're also praying. The heart of these first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer is we're asking that God would come and reign in our own hearts. Come and reign in me. These first three requests are about surrendering the throne of your life to your Father, trusting that His kingdom, His rule, His will is better than yours. These first three requests are all about our trust of our Father, which reveals why so many of us feel so unsafe when we pray these things. We feel unsafe. I don't know if I can trust you. But can we ever In the end, can we truly feel unsafe asking for his rule on earth and in us when we look at this same king, sovereign over all, kneeling alone in a garden, one night praying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There even Jesus surrendering His will to the Father for us, for our salvation, for our good. Surely, before such a humble king, you can lay down your defenses, surrender the throne of your life, seeing in the cross God has demonstrated now and for all time He is a king that is for you. He's for you. You don't need to be afraid to trust Him. He's shown us for all time He's a king that is for us, as Mr. Beaver so rightly said of him, safe. No, of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. In the Disney animated classic film Fantasia, which maybe you've seen, there's a really well-known segment there called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Do you know this part? Uh, Mickey in the long blue robe and the pointy hat. Uh, uh, in this scene, Mickey Mouse, he, he watches his master wielding all these magical powers, moving the heavens around, and he, he, 
gets it in his mind, I think I could do that too. I could pull that off. And so when the sorcerer goes to bed at night, Mickey goes, grabs the hat, puts it on, and starts trying it out. But he finds out very quickly that uh, uh, ordering the stars, those brooms carrying the buckets, uh, uh, the waters, he can't control those things as easily as, the, as his master was. And in the end, when Mickey is completely helpless and almost drowned due to his own failure to rule, it's only his master's return that saves him and sees everything restored to how it used to be. Just as we saw last Sunday, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, so too the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer, asking that we're asking along with his present help, his present inbreaking of his kingdom to come and fix, restore all the places that have been damaged and ruined by sin's reign and by our own failure to rule. We're also asking for our master's return. We're asking for his return. We're asking for our humble king to come once again, this time no longer in weakness and obscurity as a baby, but in all his power and might with the clouds of heaven. A day when heaven and earth are once again one. A day when the heavens declare, as John writes in John eleven fifteen, and Handel so beautifully included in his Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, when all the heavens together will sing, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's, that's what we're asking for when we pray these second and third petitions of the prayer. It's a day that can come about and that one day will beautifully come about because of what Paul tells us in Philippians 2 about our humble king. Listen to what he says, speaking of Jesus, how he made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore... Therefore, because Jesus surrendered his will to the Father for our good, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue that confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the King, I tell you, to the glory of God the Father. means that whenever we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is asking our Father to bring about that day when he will wipe every tear from our eyes, when mourning and death and crying will pass away and he will make all things new. It is to pray what John prays very simply at the end of the book of Revelation, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. For wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. The sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Bring your kingdom. Cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.